Good evening, church. Merry Christmas. Let's just get happy about that. You know, it's interesting because some people, just, they, they hear that and they see it as a threat. Merry Christmas. I, I'm not through shopping yet. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Well, tonight and the next two Wednesday nights, we're going to be in a mini-series. And obviously, we're in the Advent season where that's what we want to talk about. And then not next week, but the week after will be our annual candlelight service. And so I want to encourage you, bring some folk to that. That's always, always a special moment. But one of the symbols that you see that we do here on Sunday mornings is the Advent wreath. Four, cal- four, four, um, four candles, each one lit beginning the fourth Sunday before Advent. And then, of course, at Christmas, the center candle is lit. But, and, and, but what, what many of us don't know is that each one of those four candles, beyond just a countdown candle to the main event, has a significance. And the first candle in the Advent calendar, in, in the Advent wreath, thank you very much, it's having a senior moment here, is it's literally called the prophet candle. It's very interesting. Meaning it's prophecies pointing to the coming or the arrival of Jesus. And in more traditional liturgical churches, the prophet candle emphasizes both the first and the second coming of Christ. Very interesting. So that first candle is the one that sort of sets the, sets the way, if you wish, for the rest of the season. And while there are hundreds of scriptures that contain references to either first or second arrival, we find that right in the very beginning is prophecy that's pointing to that which is about to happen. And as bizarre as this might sound, I have to stop and just prophesy for a moment. Um, The Lord would say to you, my sons and daughters, is that many of you here feel like as the year comes to an end, you have run out of time. You somehow feel like that the clock has turned against you, that somehow the calendar has become your nemesis. But I'm here to say, says the Lord, that there is going to be over this next 21 days, there is going to be a finishing and a completing that I am going to bring certain things even in your finances that seem to have come undone and unwound, says the Lord. I am going to bring divine completion to over these next three weeks, says the Lord. And even as you are looking and and pointing toward even celebrating the birth of the Savior, know, says the Lord, I am going to bring completion. I'm going to bring a finishing thing, says God, even some things in your own households, things you've been praying about in and over your children things that you see that have come unwound and undone in their lives, know, says the Lord, that I am going to come in power and not just to touch prodigals and bring them back around the table, says the Lord, but I am going to change some thinking in some of your children. 
some things that some conversations that you've even had with them of late that have caused great consternation to many of you. Know, says God, that I'm coming to touch those in your household. And I would say to you, says the Lord, note, 21 days, I am going to bring about a spirit of completion of that which you've been afraid was not going to come to completion, says the Lord. Amen. All right. It's so weird. I got up here. God gave me that mess. God gave me that word. I was sitting there. I got up, started my message. It's just like, whoops, I better do this. All right. The, 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 uh, the candle, the first one. It's a prophet count. It's a prophet candle. But I want to I read a passage of scripture to kind of set off this series, which is a little unusual, perhaps, for this part of the year. But it's found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. John Calvin, about this passage, says this. Calvin, by the way, uh, again, he wrote some books. Uh, one of the two fathers of the Protestant Reformation, of which we have just finished celebrating 500 years. Calvin, it is indeed the highest praise to the gospel that it contains treasures of wisdom as yet concealed and hidden from angels. This mystery of which we now know was this Jesus. This was the plan. The timing of which angels would, would inquire of the throne who, when, how. And as powerful as angels are, we realize that angels are not omniscient. They don't know everything. And we see even in this message of the gospel, we see that, we, we see that angels are there to play a part, to play a role. Luke chapter 2, verse 13 in pronouncement. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And yet the prophets of old were doing the best that they could to try to figure out dates, places, hidden from even the angels of heaven that which now has been revealed to you and to me. Wow. And the appearance of Christ, God's outworking plan of redemption, hidden from even the highest of the angelic beings, being made known to us as recipients now of this grace, 
begins with the moment that we are now participating in and celebrating. But the quest for us, and this is the title of the message this evening, is simply finding Jesus. You know, that word has become a euphemism for evangelism. I mean, we ask people now, have you found Jesus? It's a little bit like got milk. You know, it's like got Jesus. And so, and I don't mean to make light of that, but it's like finding Jesus has become almost a one-off event, if you wish. Raise a hand, pray a prayer, mark a date, avoid hell and get a ticket to heaven. I found Jesus. Now, how many of you know to begin with that finding Jesus in itself is a misnomer? Because you didn't find him, he found you, and he enabled you to say that you found him. So however you want to phrase it to make you feel better about life, that's fine. But the the word says in Luke 19, the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And so in a very real sense, God came. Now, not that you were ever lost. Hello? Are you with me? God always knew where you were. In the continuum of this thing called time, God knew exactly where your location was. So it's not like you were, quote, ever lost where God was concerned. But only from the standpoint that there was a moment that revelation came in such a way that you could now respond because you were empowered by him to respond. And yet this idea of, well, I found Jesus. I had a moment. I had an event. Maybe you can mark yours. Mine was in 1976 in a dorm room in Brevard, North Carolina. Many of you, maybe you have, maybe you had an experience. Maybe, maybe you, someone prayed with you. Maybe you have something that you, you, you wrote down the date and the time and the place. Good. It's great. But it's the beginning of something. It's not the end of a thing. It's the very essence of our sonship, our discipleship, and it's directly proportional to the rate of change whereby we become more like him and able to participate in the divine nature. But only to the extent that we continue to do what? Find him. And we look at at the narratives in Scripture, just walking through all four of the Gospels, And we see folk trying to find Jesus. Matthew, the second chapter, you know the story? Herod, the Magi, presenting the gifts. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he? Where is he? Right here. We know he's here who has been born king of the Jews, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was troubled. And it says, all Jerusalem with him. 
And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Right here. Now, Herod's motivation for finding this kid was somewhat different than maybe your motivation and mine. For him, he was concerned. It was a power issue with him. He was concerned about the throne. He was not concerned with the eternal things the way that hopefully you and I are. But nonetheless, finding Jesus. Mark chapter 1, moving right through the Gospels. The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of the one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Verse 7, and this was John's message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Here was John, his entire ministry committed and devoted to finding Jesus when this bridegroom would appear. We move to the big Christmas gospel, Luke. And we see all kinds of folks here finding Jesus. Zechariah, an angel appears. John's dad, Zechariah, has this angelic encounter, begins to tell him about this boy who is yet to be, that which he's going to do. Zechariah said, in a way, can't happen that way. All of a sudden, Zechariah can't talk for about nine months. Mary, she also had an angelic pronouncement. But hers was somewhat different than Zechariah's. Is that not only did she have a prophetic, she had an angelic encounter, a pronouncement, an announcement, but something else happened. It says that she was overshadowed by the Holy Ghost and she conceived. She became with child by God Himself. John. In his mother's womb, in the presence of Mary. John, not even knowing cuz yet, but just being, just, just being in the same room, it says he leapt in Elizabeth's womb, finding Jesus even in utero. He was doing everything that he could to move toward this Savior. Wow. Angels and shepherds. Luke 28, Luke, rather, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields, watching over their flocks. And an angel of the Lord appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And their response, they didn't go get the worship team and get on their happy dance. It says they were terrified. I mean, don't you love the fact that this announcement was made? To some of the most lowly of stature in society, shepherds. And the angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then that great company of the heavenly host appeared. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. That's a good idea. I mean, here you are in the absolute boredom. It's night. The sheep are dozing. There ain't a whole lot going on. There's nothing on TV. And all of a sudden, heaven opens and all of this clamor begins to happen. And rather than Jim just looking at each other and just saying, cool. They said, you know, maybe we better respond and go find this Jesus that they're talking about. So they hurried off. Didn't say they ambled and moseyed. It says they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. In accordance with the law and tradition, they present Jesus to be dedicated at the temple. And there were a couple of other folks there that are part of this narrative in Luke. An old man and an old woman named Simeon and Anna. Simeon had been looking for Jesus for some time. Talk about finding Jesus. Simeon, righteous, devout. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And it says, moved by the Spirit, he would go into the temple courts. And the parents brought their child in. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. Listen to what Simeon said. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you, have now, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I mean, this is just, this is just a baby. Not, I, mean, baby not, I mean, the baby's not glowing. There are no angels attending this child. It's just a normal couple coming to present their child to be dedicated, presented in the temple. How did Simeon know this was the one? Because the Holy Spirit has shown him. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the people. A light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. What a prophecy. Oh my goodness. A light for the Gentiles. And then there was another player in this narrative. Her name was Anna. Prophetess. Widowed at an early age. Says she never left. She worshipped night and day. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem, finding Jesus. These were folk that had spent decades looking. 
We move on to the fourth gospel of John. And while not giving us any specifics of the birth of Jesus, we find this passage in verses 14 through 18. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning Him. He cries out saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. And from the fullness of His grace we have received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. But you know, to find something, it begins with having a real sense of that which you're looking for. It would be like you stumbling through your house. Honey, what are you looking for? I have no idea. Now, my wife and I are both approaching the age that that's beginning to happen now. Is that you go into a room to retrieve something, and you have no idea why you're in that room. All of the years of picking on Pastor Duke, it's coming home, baby. <laughs> Let me just tell you. And so you, you, you go in the room, and you begin to look, look for something, and it's just like, I have no idea what I'm looking for. That's all kinds of things in there. But you have no idea exactly what you're there for. And so to find something, there first had to be some real sense of what it is, or in this case, who it is of which we're trying to find. In the movie, The Lord of the Rings, and I think it was based loosely on a book, <laughs> the opening lines of the movie that go like this, and so the story became history, and history became legend, and legend became myth. You know, sadly, in this process of finding Jesus, that very much is the case, isn't it? History becoming legend, becoming myth. You see, part of what the church is here to do is to dispel the myths, is to worship the legend, and to create new history. Because he's not just a historical God. He's still a God of acts. And there's so many myths about Jesus. You know, I expect the world to have their own myths about Jesus. But you know, there are as many myths in the church about Jesus as there is really good theology about who he is. It's fascinating. And I see well-meaning Christians and they're on this quest to find Jesus, but because they can't define who the Jesus is that they're looking for, many times the construct of their own mind and imaginations that Jesus could be right there in front of them and they miss him because he's not the God that Scripture is detailing. Something they made up. A myth, if you wish. And myths and legends must yield to revelation. And yes, we have this expectation. And could I pick on us in the charismatic Pentecostal world for just for a moment? 
is that we have a real emphasis and orientation on God coming to us. Do I believe that? Absolutely. I mean, everything that we're celebrating this time of year is about God leaving heaven and suffering the indignities of humanity, of becoming a man, leaving everything that heaven had, fellowship with the Father, the glory due and ascribed to him. Jesus' suffering was not just what he experienced the last few days of his life. It was his entire life that he came for you and for me. And yet, we have this expectation of God coming, God coming, God coming. Emmanuel, God with us. Yes, that's all true. Don't hear the wrong thing. But we have this idea somehow of Jesus continuing to find us. But can I say that might be our expectation, but do you know what Jesus' expectation is? It's us finding him. He turns it completely around. We have this expectation of, God, come and find me. Here I am. God, where are you? And God is saying, come find me. I've related this story before, but years ago as... I was really learning to hear from God. I had this, my wife and I were in probably the, one of the, maybe the most intense season of our lives. Was communing about an outreach day. My kids were young. We had no money. We had no sense. It was just, I mean, talk about being pressed on every side we were pressed. But I had such a season of intimacy with God, experiences with him that even to this day I can't talk about. But I remember on one of the drive homes late at night, all of a sudden God wasn't there anymore. Now I knew I was a knucklehead. I mean, my life wasn't what it needed to be, of course. It's not what it needs to be today. But God just disappeared and stayed gone for about six weeks. I mean, I changed deodorant, you know. I tried, I, I tried reading my Bible a little, a little bit more, you know. I, I gave, put an extra five in the plate on Sundays. I mean, I did everything that I knew to try to curry the favor of God to get him to come back. And driving home one night, all of a sudden, Jesus was there. And my first question was, where did you go? Where have you been? Like you need to ask God, where has he been? He said, wrong question. He said, the next time I move, you don't wait for me to come back. You go find me. The cloud moved and I didn't move with it. And I just expected that God was just going to come, just do what God had always done. God was going to come and find me and fellowship with me and speak with me and comfort me. And God was training me, growing me up. Son, don't get used to the same old, same old. You don't wait for me anymore. You come find me. And so many times we wait to be moved by the Spirit. Because come on, we're charismatics. I gotta be moved. I gotta feel the anointing. I go, oh. 
People ask me sometimes, Pastor Jim, how do you, what do you feel when you prophesy? What, how, how does that happen? You know, and I, I feel nothing. Zero. There's no feeling. There's no, there, there's no light bulb that goes off from heaven. It's just a matter of Jesus saying, open your mouth and say something now. It's no more complicated than that. Yeah, it's pretty complicated actually, but, but I can't wait to get moved upon. Do you understand what I'm saying? His expectation is that we're going to find him. And many times it's in the most unlikely place where we're going to find him. My wife and I have this running joke, we lose something. Once again, you know, I, guess, I guess we could move to a whole, whole genre of geriatric jokes now. But then my wife will say, well, I found it. It was the last place I looked. You think? I mean, can you imagine being the first place you look? You know, you say, I'm going to keep looking just because, I mean, thank you. You, may, you need medication at that point. But finding Jesus many times, he shows up in ways that we just don't expect. Unlikely places. So how do we find Jesus? Let me give you three quick things in closing. The first is persistence. Matthew 7, we know this, ask, seek, knock, keep on seeking, keep on asking. And we do this in the context, and, and yes, the context of this verse is asking for that which one needs. It's asking for provision. And again, as believers, we've gotten real good at that part. I need, I need, I need. We got it. Okay, thank you. But you know, even in the Lord's Prayer where we're also instructed to ask, there is a priority in that asking. It doesn't say, give us this day our daily bread, O Lord, who is in heaven. Somehow, even the context, even the syntax of how that prayer is put together, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It begins with finding God, not just with identifying the need. The priority is God himself. And I have to ask many times, is our persistence in the continual asking of the thing that we need or is the persistence in how we continue to follow hard after him. Is our persistence is in finding him. I'm going to keep looking until I find God in this situation. I got to tell you right now in our country, and you don't got to be a prophet or a Republican or a Democrat or an independent or whatever else. That you, I, I have to look real hard right now to find Jesus in some situations. Anybody else having a hard time finding Jesus? Come on. Thank you very much. And some of us would just, we'd just be easier for just to declare Ichabod over. The glory has departed and just call down fire and move on. But somewhere, somewhere, we need to keep looking until we find him. We need to keep looking 
I gotta tell you, I'm glad there are people in my life that kept looking for Jesus in me rather than giving up on me and declaring Ichabod over my, come on. Is our persistence, again, for what we're asking for, is our persistence for whom we really need. It's never what, it's always who. Years ago, I used to terrorize my children. It's probably no surprise to you. But hide and seek was a big thing in our house. And I would love to hide. And my children would come and they'd see my car there. And maybe Angie had brought them in from the store. And, I, and they would holler for me, Daddy! And I wouldn't answer. And they knew it was on. They knew it was on. Oh, Daddy's hiding. Oh, Daddy's hiding. And I, and I wouldn't just say, I wouldn't just, you know, just kind of come out and say, Oh, you found me. I would go, ah, scare them to death. Well, not all. Not completely to death, obviously. But, you know, it's interesting as they, they figured out the normal places after a while. And as they got older, I had to get a little bit more what? Thank you. And a little bit more sophisticated in the hiding. So as they grew up, guess what? They had to look harder. Because I wasn't just hiding behind the first door. I wasn't just in the closet. I was in creative places because as they matured, I wanted them to work harder at this game. You know, it says in Isaiah 45, 15, it says, surely you are a God who hides himself. Oh my. Do you mean that God would actually hide himself in order to produce something of persistence in my life? You bet he would. Absolutely. Remember when you first got saved? You picked up your Bible and you were a theologian on a stick. I mean, you'd pick it up and angels would be dancing off the page. I mean, revelation dripping off of that Bible. You know what I'm talking about? You would say, you would come to prayer and you say, Jesus, and bam, God would show up. You'd be enveloped in the love and the presence of God. It's like, man, this is great. And then you had that day. Come on. And you open that Bible. Yawn. Oh, this is, hmm, ooh, this just became broccoli. Prayer all of a sudden was not this rich, presence-filled moment. It became what? It became a bit arduous. It became work. Was God there? Yes. But what was he doing to you and to me? Developing some bones. Developing some muscle. To find out, do you really want me bad enough to come find me? Or do you, will you only find me when it's easy? Seek the Lord while he can be found, yes. But I want to submit to you, God can be found if we're persistent enough to continue to look for him. Then there's this posture of finding him. Proverbs 8, 17 says, I love those who love me and those who seek me do what? Find me. 
There's something about with all your heart that God knows. God's got this thing figured out. You know, Jeremiah 29, we love it because it talks about, you know, hope and the future and all of this kind of stuff. And so we, one of the few scriptures we know, you know, we got the prayer of Jabez down, bought that at the gas station. So we got, we're good on that. But Jeremiah 29, it says, verse 13 and 14, you will seek me and find me when? When? Come on. You seek me with all your heart. There it is. There's the qualifier. We wonder many times, God, why am I not finding you? Because somewhere there's a part of your heart that is still not seeking. There's a part of your heart that still you've got control over, you haven't given over yet. There's still a part of you that really doesn't want to seek after God in this part of your being. How many of you have a moment, have, have a little area too in your life that you don't want that little eating thing to go find God? Uh-oh. I mean, many times we just think it's about sin and we just want to get all straightened out. But the reality is, it's that part of our heart that we don't want to follow hard after God. It's that part of our heart that we want to retain for ourselves. What does it say in verse 14? With all your heart, I will be found by you. There's the promise. But the qualifier is with all your heart. That is the posture that God is looking for. And then I'll just mention this, and I'll talk about this next week, of finding God in position and in situation. Can we find Jesus in the midst of? That becomes the real question for you and for me. As I've already mentioned, we always start out and it's easy. It doesn't matter what you do, whether it's a child learning to play soccer, all they got to do is run up and down the field and not fall down. But then they have to pick up some skills and things invariably get more difficult. My wife and I both taught music for years to students. And I can't tell you the dozens, if not hundreds of times that a student would get to a, a certain place in their learning trajectory and they would look back and they would say, what, Tiffany? It's so hard. It's so hard. I want to quit. I wanted to quit too. My mother, unfortunately, would not let me quit. Made me take piano when I hated the piano. For years, everybody else was doing fun stuff. I was practicing the stupid piano. It's so hard. But you know, it's an amazing thing. Following God's exactly the same way. There are people, it's so hard. Compared to what? You ever heard people say, life is so hard. Compared to what? I'm sorry, what are you comparing it to? God, finding God in the midst of and realizing he's always been there. One of the things that we do in, in healing, school of healing, every nation. I've been doing this in the, in, the, in, the, in, in the counseling office for years. 
is walking people through horrendous things they'd been through in their life and then realizing that Jesus was there. He's always been there. And to bring them to a place that they realized they were not abandoned in that moment, but that Jesus was there with them in that moment. Wow. Then we begin to understand passages like Romans 8, that all things working for good for those who love and called. And our first reaction many times when the wind starts to blow is to rebuke the wind. Come on. Or maybe you've, you've developed an eschatology that maybe you can use the wind and get raptured out of this thing. Go ahead. Give it your best shot. Put your sails up and see if it works. But the reality is our reaction is not just to speak to the wind. It's to find the Lord of the wind. It's to find the God who can still the wind in the midst of the circumstance. My goodness. And we ask God then, why? Why me? Why this? The real question shouldn't be why. It should always be where. God, where are you? What is obscuring me in this moment from seeing you? Because I know that you are here. Are you with me? Saints, that has become such, a, such a, a bedrock of your theology. Where are you? Son, I'm right here. I don't see you. Keep looking. Keep looking. God, I can't see. Keep looking. Keep looking until you find me. Wow. Let me push through here. I realize it's 818. Preacher only has, doesn't have to know the Bible just to be able to read a clock. I understand that. But a friend's blog from a couple of days ago from Europe, he wrote this. I am really going to close. Light has always had a mysterious, even magical character, this being true even for physics. Light can bring comfort and it can be terrifying, but above all, it reveals what is. Darkness, on the other hand, hides reality. And anyone who's had a time of great darkness of mind and heart can recall how despair or dread was changed to joy or anticipation by the power of illumination, sometimes instantaneously, sometimes gradually. So what does that have to do with finding Jesus? Absolutely everything. Sunday, my wife and I, some friends, went to the National Cathedral to hear Handel's Messiah. We've done it for probably a decade. And Mr. Handel has set a number of tremendous passages from the book of Isaiah, the music that has survived for over two centuries. And I'll read this in closing. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Of those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end.
He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Pray with me. Lord, thank you that you were gracious and you found us. And you finding us is not just mere semantics. God, it is the ultimate act of a merciful God who came and opened blind eyes and animated that which was dead and could not respond. But Lord, we recognize that finding you was not a one-off, one-time event where we got our ticket punched. But God, it is a lifelong quest that we would find you. God, I pray that you would work persistence in us. That God, we wouldn't whine like children. When it gets hard, when it seems to be hard to find you, that God, we would push in and we would press through. Not just until, God, we get the victory of situation, but God, until we find you in the midst of that place. Persistence. God, I pray that there would be a posture of priority. Our Father who art in heaven. That we would seek you with all of our heart. Not just parts of it. And that God, that regardless of the position or situation where we find ourselves this evening, that God, you specialize in showing up in unlikely places. There was nothing more unlikely than a very common couple, modest in circumstance, a manger, Bethlehem. Nothing more unlikely than that setting. So Lord, let us find you fresh. Let this Advent season be the catalyst that we would find you anew. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Bless you, church.